If you have your Bibles or whatever electronic version, Matthew chapter 5 again, uh, we'll be back in there and looking at that in a moment. But let's look to the Lord one more time in prayer. Father, I thank you for grace. I thank you for love. I thank you for your mercy. Uh, Lord, if it weren't for your steadfast faithfulness to us, we would cease to be. And Lord, I pray this morning that as we look into your kingdom again, the summary and the, uh, the sermon that you gave as far as what should be true of us, the DNA of your kingdom, Lord, help us to um, dig down deep inside. Uh, one, Lord, help us to make sure that we are part of that kingdom. And Father, help us to take even a bigger and bolder and stronger position in the kingdom if we know for sure that we belong to you. Father, help us to uh, value and to think highly of, of the service that you have called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know how many of you don't like to be close to other people. You like space, you know, and I, I, I know that's me. If it weren't for COVID, I would still stand six feet from people when I talk to them. I, and people have noticed that about me, that I'm just not comfortable. I have like a bigger personal zone. And some have made like a joke out of it where they just start talking and keep getting closer to me and, and back me across the room by the time the conversation's over. Uh, I, just, I just have that space kind of thing. Uh, you could call it... A wiggle room. So, you know, I gotta have some space. Don't get too close to me. And if you have children, perhaps you know that if they're in a close proximity, like the back seat of a car, and they're stuffed in there, and they can't move around, and they don't have that wiggle room, uh, it's not too so too long before you hear somebody, Dad, Mom, he's hitting me. He's in my space. You know, you gotta have some room. You gotta be able to move. And when it comes to that idea, that works when it physical proximity, but it doesn't work so well with the law of God. God didn't write the law to give us a lot of wiggle room. In fact, it came across this cartoon this week, and it says, no, I'm not going to ask for a little more wiggle room. And you could picture humanity, the Israelites at the time when Moses comes with the commandments, are you serious? If they're rightly understood, there is no room for humanity to wiggle, for us to somehow think that we're good enough, that I know the, the righteousness that I have, that some way God's going to let it slide. And as we've been looking at Jesus showing the intents of the commandments, we see that in our hearts we're guilty. We are condemned before the Lord. We don't have a righteous leg to stand on, and we can't go to the Lord and say, can't you just, your, your commandments are pretty tough. That bar is pretty high. Can't you just give me a little bit of wiggle room? We've looked at the introduction uh, to this whole uh, sermon, and that the, the Beatitudes, the blessed children of God, who they are, how they're blessed, despised of men, but how they need to be salt and light in order to impact this world. And in the theme of the Sermon on the Mount, it's righteousness. It's that unless your righteousness exceeded that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you're not going to make it. And it wasn't saying you need to be more righteous in your quantity. It was saying you need a new kind of righteousness. You need a righteousness that comes from Christ who has fulfilled the law. And as Jesus unfolds the sermon, 
He's going to show that need of righteousness is only going to be fulfilled through him. So we've looked at a couple different aspects of it. And one is that the, the law is the section we're in right now is in their hearts and accordingly should control the conduct of a child of the kingdom. We looked at valuing people in general and not having a murderous intent, which all the way goes down into our heart, the way we speak to people, the way we act. Valuing people in covenant partnership, not lusting uh, inside, not having a secret playground inside where we just let our heart go and no one knows about it. We deal with those kind of things. Right now we're in the section of valuing people through integrity of heart. Valuing people through integrity of heart. Integrity is not a word um, used often today because integrity implies that there is a right and there is a wrong. If you don't believe that, integrity won't be very important to you because you're going to have the ability to make your own truth, to decide what's right and wrong for you. So integrity, if it means that there's a standard to follow, uh, in our culture today, that's pretty much a, a bygone idea, something that doesn't even have much merit. And we looked at having value people through integrity in the area of marriage, and that children of the kingdom will be known by their commitment to the covenant and sanctity of marriage. That will be part of their DNA. Uh, they will be drawn to that. They will uphold that. And we had taken a look at that. Today we want to branch out a little bit, but in keeping with that, it's important that we looked at the verses for the sanctity of marriage and that Jesus doesn't build his case for marriage based upon the law. He goes back to creation. He goes back to the very beginning and his intent making them male and female. He sanctified marriage as part of creation. So when people violate that and do their own thing their own way, they're not just disobeying the law, which they are. They're violating the very creative nature that God had put forth when he made this world. Now we're going to move into not just the, the sanctity of marriage and valuing integrity in marriage. We want to look at valuing integrity in all of life. And this is what Jesus says at the beginning. He says, again, you have heard, this is the teaching that they had been receiving, uh, that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, on the face value, there's not a lot wrong with that statement. And you need to understand a little bit about what was happening historically at the time and what they were doing with that. Because in the area of truthfulness, integrity, of taking of oaths, they had kind of created a circus atmosphere. They had created a bunch of extra rules to get around the truth so they didn't have to speak truth. Truth is a difficult concept to talk about today. Uh, if you go back in ancient history, it seems that truth has always been elevated as something that is a cornerstone of society, something that's very important. Uh, the ancient Cicero said, nothing is sweeter than the light of truth. Jeffrey Chaucer, the uh, poet, truth is the highest thing man may keep. And uh, somebody a little bit more satirically has said, John C. Collins, truth is the object of philosophy, but not always of philosophers. 
And that kind of brings it back to where we live is, yes, we will extol truth. Could you imagine a society where no concept of truth existed? That every time somebody spoke to you, you had no idea whether they were lying or telling something that was true. Pick me up at 10 o'clock. Sure, I'll be there. 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, they didn't come. Well, I was only kidding. I didn't really mean to do that. You know, the, the, if you don't have some semblance of truth, you can't depend on rely on anybody for anything. Uh, this whole subject of oaths, of, of making your word count, they had created a circus-type atmosphere. Now, I'm a pretty simple-minded guy on a lot of a lot of levels. And if you see the movies and TV shows I watch, you'll say, yeah, you are pretty simple-minded. And that's okay. I just need mindless things sometimes. But when I say taking an oath, I wonder what comes to your mind. Now, me being simple, some of you may have the same kind of thing. I kind of come across this right here. Anybody remember these guys? Yeah, some of you are insulted that I already put that up there. I got a 60-second clip for you here. Take off your hat. I'll raise your right hand. I'll place your left hand here. Take off your hat. Raise your right hand. I'll put your left hand here. Please take off your hat. Raise your right hand. Hmm. I'll put your left hand here. Will you please take off your hat? Raise your right hand. Now put your left hand here. Take off your hat. Raise your right hand. Will you get rid of that hat? Raise your right hand. Raise your right hand. Do you solemnly swear to tell the truth all who do that nothing but the truth? Huh? Do you solemnly swear to tell the truth all who do that nothing but the truth? Are you trying to give me the double talk? Do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Why don't you answer him? He's talking big Latin. I don't know what he's saying. He's asking you if you swear. No, but I know all the words. <laughs> Sorry, that's where my head goes when I think about taking an oath. And if you're there too, blessings on you. Do you swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth is what Jesus is asking? And to what level... Uh, will we go to make sure our hearts and minds are girded by truth and that integrity of heart is what we truly have? The circus atmosphere of taking an oath isn't a whole lot different than what the Pharisees and Sadducees had done. So I want to clear up a couple parts of this, a few clarifications. Is We're not talking about the sin of cursing, even if you're like Curly and you know all the words. This isn't something about telling you not to curse. That's not the point of what Jesus is saying. He's also not giving a prohibition on taking an oath. In fact, in the scripture, there's many different places where oaths are used for solemn or special occasions. You can look many places and see that a promise or an oath is used in the Bible. It's appropriate at certain times. If you go to Moses, uh, in Deuteronomy 10, it says, You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. By his name you shall swear. Jeremiah. And it shall come to pass, if they will diligently learn the ways of my people, to swear by my name as the Lord lives, even as they taught my people to swear by Baal, 
Then they shall be built up in the midst of my people. Paul, if you look at him, several different places, he says, as God is my witness, and he's using some kind of an oath to bring a, a level of, of solemnness or gravity to what he's talking about. Uh, God himself in the Abrahamic covenant swore by an oath by himself. He swore that he'd never destroy the world by a flood again in Genesis. He, he made an oath that he would send a redeemer in the book of Psalms and in Luke. Uh, he made an oath that he would raise his son again from the dead. He also made an oath that he would preserve and bless Israel. So when Jesus is talking up here about not swearing uh, by taking an oath, he's not saying it for the oath's sake, that there is an appropriate time and place. Some Christian groups have taking these verses, so when they would go to court, they would not swear, or they would not take an oath of office. Or if they were going into uh, the army or the police, and there's an oath or a medical place where there's a, 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 an oath, and they say, you can't do that. The Bible forbids that. That is not the um, purpose of what Jesus is talking about here. In fact, one of the greatest blessings that we have, and one of the greatest verses that gives us comfort Jesus swears by an oath in it. In Hebrews, set, um, God swears by an oath. Hebrews chapter 6. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that was set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. God is saying here to give you confidence, I'm going to swear an oath to be your refuge. And I'm swearing it by my character and by my word, neither of which are able to change you can be confident that God is a rock that doesn't move. So in all of this, uh, the thing that we're going to be looking at is to proclaim the value of personal integrity. Uh, integrity means you do the right thing simply because it is the right thing. Somebody has said integrity is that uh, what you are in the dark or when nobody is looking. You do the right thing because you know in your heart that this is the right thing to do, so therefore I will do it. Now the Mosaic Law, and we can kind of see a little bit of the circus that had been created, the intent of it was to bridle man's proneness to lying. Have you ever noticed that people lie? Have you ever noticed that children lie on occasion and sometimes never grow out of it? Um, I, I remember, and I hope my sister's not listening right now, but, but, and I was a liar too, but she would lie to my parents quite often. And, and, and they got to the point where like, how do we know you're telling the truth? And, and whenever they would doubt her, she would start crying. And she would say, you don't trust me. Like, I'd scratch my head. Of course they don't trust you. Don't trust any of us. We're a bunch of lying kids. You know, you can't be confident of, of what was being said, and we would also lie to each other. And we would tell lies, and, and we wouldn't believe each other. And when it came time to it, what we would resort to is saying, well, if you don't believe me, go ask mom and dad. 
You know, that was like the, the oath kind of thing. You can't trust me, you can trust them. Well, the Pharisees and Sadducees knew uh, much about lying. They were very good at it. And they came up with an elaborate system to not be nailed down. They wanted wiggle room. So in doing this, the intent was to stop lying in the law and to restrict frivolous oath-taking. Frivolous oath-taking. They were taking at that time oaths for any reason whatsoever because their own personal word had become so small and so unreliable that they would say, well, I swear, I mean this. And, and they appeal to external authorities because the integrity of heart wasn't there. So what was happening in this frivolous oath-taking, truth became very, very small. Let me give you an example. If I were to say to you this morning, welcome Chuck the Honorable. The most honorable Chuck, we are glad you are here today. And we're glad you are here with your most honorable wife. And you're sitting in your most honorable chair. And you had most honorable cornflakes for breakfast today. And you drove your most honorable car to church today. And you came in our most honorable front doors. After a while, you're going to say, honorable doesn't mean a whole lot. You've overused it. At first, when I said, welcome to the Honorable Chuck, it's like, oh, got some royalty here, something special. But when everything is honorable, nothing is honorable. And that's what was happening in the Pharisees and Sadducees. They were frivolously throwing God's name around and swearing by this and swearing by that because their own integrity had become so small and so insignificant. And not only that, they had to remedy evasive oath-taking. In other words, how can I make a promise that I can not have to keep? How can I do it to have wiggle room? So if I word it just right, I can make my promise but have a back door out of it. I don't have to be held to keeping my word. So the law also wanted to reserve oaths for solemn and grave matters and a big purpose of the law is to help us all remember that all of life is under God's watchful eye. It all belongs to him. So this odd way of swearing or oath-taking that they were involving themselves was missing the point that God is involved in every part of life and that there isn't any part of life that he's not involved in or that is remote so that I can kind of cheat a little bit in this little area because God's not really in control of that spot. He's not sovereign there. So if I just make this little neat set of rules, and I'll explain what they were in a moment, that, that somehow I can skirt the truth. I can get around it. I don't have to live every part of my life to God's glory because that seems a little bit excessive. I got to have some wiggle room in my life. So the Pharisees, they gave a little bit of a twist to truth-telling and to being a person of integrity. They began to sidestep it. Because if you'll look at the, that verse that we spoke about, again, you have heard that it has been said of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. That's kind of an extrapolation from different verses. It's not really an actual verse, but they took verses like, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. They also took Deuteronomy 6. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. 
And in Leviticus, it said, you shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of the Lord your God. So what they had done is that they twisted the law to permit the using of almost any name in a false oath. And they came up with formulas, way to be able to swear or make an oath uh, so that I could swear by the city of Jerusalem, or I could swear by heaven, or by earth, or a part of the body, of your hair, for instance, uh, or something like that. I swear by my head, or if you're one of the three little pigs, I swear by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin. Chin. You know, all of these um, appeals to some kind of source that's supposed to give a little bit of integrity to the fact that what I'm just saying probably doesn't have enough integrity. So I have to appeal to something else. Uh, they were twisting it. In fact, in the Mishnah, which is uh, the, the rabbis would use as a collection or an explanation of the law, they had said that if you were to swear by Jerusalem, well, that's not binding. But if you swore towards Jerusalem, now that's binding. And I could see the little fight going on afterwards. Like, you know, I didn't really swear towards Jerusalem. I swore by Jerusalem. So I, I'm sorry, I'm not going to keep this. And, and the other guy saying, well, wait, wait a minute. You were three quarters turned towards Jerusalem when you swore. So you have to keep it because you were mostly pointing in that direction. So they'd be fighting back and forth about which vow or which oath had to be kept, and if the formula was used correctly in their swearing. Uh, breaking an oath based on these lesser, lesser things was not profaning God. You weren't taking his name in vain because you chose a, a lesser thing to swear by, and if you broke it, you weren't profaning the name of the Lord, so it was okay. Your personal integrity was no big deal. The issue of their teaching was not to perjure. You can't lie, so you have to come up with a formula to make it a backdoor, make a backdoor so you can get out of your truth, but you still didn't really lie because you didn't swear facing Jerusalem, or you didn't swear on the name of Yahweh. And, and doing so, you gave yourself room to not have to be a person of integrity. They used all of their creative energy to creatively skirt the truth. And you say, those horrible Pharisees, how could they do that? I wonder how much of our creative energy at times goes into skirting the truth, where we give an answer that might have been half of the answer. Um, we maybe didn't do what we were supposed to do and said, did you? And I'll just say, take the trash out. Hmm. Uh, no, well, but, well, yes, yes, I did. And then you go take the trash out real quick. I had a friend that would tell me that. It's okay to lie as long as you, in a short time, make your lie true. And then it's okay. So he would tell the bosses at work when they was asked if he did something, he would say yes. And as soon as the meeting was over, he would go back to his desk and he would do it. And that was not a lie. He said something, and he gave me a lecture one time because I wasn't doing that. And sometimes it would make our department look bad. And he would say, you know, you got you to gotta realize sometimes truth is kind of like a hill. And it, and it kind of swoops around. And it's got to be okay for you to say this as long as you make it true as soon as you can. And I was like, this is crazy. But, you know, we do that all the time. We say things that are half true 
or perhaps we say something that we realize, oh, that could be taken the wrong way. And, and instead of telling the truth and saying, you know, I'm really sorry I said that that was wrong of me, we'll, we'll do something, oh, what I really meant was, and we didn't mean that, we just want to get out of trouble. So we squirrel things around or creativity, creatively do something to bail ourselves out of the trouble we're in by perhaps telling a half-truth or using something called plausible deniability where we say something, but you know what? We can change the emphasis of it, and they can't really prove that we meant what we really did mean, and we skirt the truth somehow. Uh, we all have been asked questions at times where we really don't want to tell the truth. We're not really sure how to tell the truth. You like my new hair? What if you don't? Say, no, you can't do that. You can't tell the truth, so you have to say it. You like my new dress? You like my new suit? I actually know, or the, you know, the real question is, does this uh, make my hips look big, or whatever those questions. You know, nobody wants to answer those, and if the answer isn't what we think they're gonna wanna hear, we're gonna skirt the truth a little bit. We're gonna find a way to say something that gets us off the hook. So there's the outright lies, which we still tell. But there's also those outright lies that we can somehow skirt and get around without really looking like a liar or being proven to be a liar. And that's exactly where they were. And Jesus kind of got fed up with this. He realized that the integrity of heart was not being followed. And all of the creativity that they had, they were using it to ways to make themselves look good, skirt the truth, and never really have to fulfill their promises. Later on in the book of Matthew, Jesus talks about uh, these kind of things. And he says, woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if you swear by the gold of the temple, then he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, this was another one of their formulas, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift of, or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Jesus is kind of unmasking their lack of integrity. So you've got all these formulas. You've got all these ways of getting around honesty, fulfilling the truth, but you don't do it. And he wants to drive one central message into their hearts, that if they got this message, if we got this message, our truth quota would go up tremendously because we'd realize some very special things about God. And as the Lord begins his teaching, he says, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is a throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. And for some of us, we can't even make a hair. 
It's just white or black. That's the idea of aging here. You can't like stop the aging process that you have no control over your life. So what good is it to swear by yourself? It makes no sense at all. So in doing this, Jesus does a couple things. He relates every oath back to God. Every time you speak something by way of a promise, it doesn't matter how you swear, what you cling to, because God is connected to everything. It's the gold of the temple. Well, God is the God of the temple. And that gold's connected to the temple. That there isn't anything that you could swear by that doesn't have a connection to God Almighty because all things are his and all things belong to him. He is the one who has control over the aging process. That, that your black hair turns to white. You, you can't change it. Well, you can, I guess, if you go to a salon. But by your own self, you can't reverse those things that God has control over. They belong to him and him alone. So in relating every oath to God, to swear by anything is to swear by God because it belongs to him. It is all his. So when I think that somehow I'm skirting things, I'm still in God's presence. I'm still connected to him. I can't just somehow have a slice of my life that is secular. And everything over here is sacred. And for a long time, the church looked at things like that. You know, you're either in sac sacred employment or secular employment. So if you go into the ministry, that is a sacred profession. But if you do something else, and you could list a lot of things, well, that is secular. And that's not true. God is part of everything. So for a believer, all of life is sacred. It's just as sacred to follow the Lord and get into some kind of missionary work or something as it would be to teach, to do mechanic work, to work at a hardware store, uh, whatever it would be. I, those are sacred if God has called you to it because God is equally involved in everybody's life and everything that they do. Every oath is related to God. All things are sacred. And to swear by anything is to connect yourself to God. All speech is to be a sacred oath for those that are true loving citizens of the kingdom. So when I speak to you and I say something, I am saying it before the God of the universe. I'm saying it in his presence. It's part of my worship. As I speak truth through a heart of integrity, I shouldn't need an external oath to reaffirm what I'm saying is the integrity of my heart should be strong enough, be, be big enough, uh, be meaningful enough that when I speak, I'm speaking before the Lord. I better tell the truth. I better tell you what is the actual truth because there's no wiggle room. I'm either a person of integrity or I am not. All speech is sacred. It's oath to God. So in essence, Jesus tells us integrity reigns supreme in his kingdom. As children of the kingdom and we live in this world, our word should be true. Uh, I don't know how many of you have ever seen that movie Hook, old, old movie Hook. And, and before uh, the, the father there gets himself turned around, he's telling his son Jack all the time 
that my word is my bond. And as soon as he says it, you know, your skin crawls a little bit like that guy's just lying. He's not going to follow through with his promise. And that's so true of many people today. They, they, they say, oh, I, I'll be there. I'll do that. I'll help. You know, the integrity of heart, they just don't happen. Their word is not their bond. And that is the truth of scripture that we're trying to find here. So in integrity reigning, let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. What does it mean? Some of your Bibles say, let your yes be yes and your nay be nay. Uh, if your scriptures say it that way, that, that might give you a little bit closer idea to what Jesus is telling us here in the area of uh, integrity. Basically, the formula, and it's used throughout the New Testament, is something like this, that your yes should be yes, your no should be no. And in that, the first yes and nay, the first part of that, you let your yes or your no be no, that is the, the promise that you're making, the oath that you're taking. The second half means the fulfillment of it. So when I speak to somebody and say, I will do this, the follow-up should be, it's as good as done. You can count on it. I am dependable. I will follow through. I'm a person of integrity. It's used in the scripture in many different places. I'm going to read a couple verses to you. James chapter 5. It says, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by the earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not come under condemnation. When you say yes, it should be as good as done. It should be a, a, a sure thing that's going to happen. And in Revelation 1.7, listen to how it's put here. It says, behold, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Now that word even so is the exact same word for yea. So it's yea, amen. Amen is like the fulfillment of it. You can count on the oath to be true. Here's my promise. My word is my bond. It is true. It will happen. Second Corinthians says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. So yes, God is dependable. We utter an amen because we know it will be fulfilled. We know it will be true. On the other hand, the lack of integrity is uh, explained by a yes and no person, kind of talking out of both sides of their mouth, so to speak. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we read, As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the sons of God, Jesus, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it was always yes. God is yes, amen. His children should be yes and amen. Our word should be believable. We shouldn't need an external source to somehow make up for the lack of character that we have. When we say something to somebody, they should not have to think in the back of their mind, is this one of those sort of true things? Is this really dependable? 
Because that's a bad place to be in a relationship where somebody's word is suspect. And you're just not sure if they're finding a creative way to skirt the truth or the issue that's taking place. Jesus taught that our conversation should be so honest and our character so true that we would not need any kind of crutch to get people to believe us. And I've run into people like that. I swear, I swear to God, I, I swear this is true. Uh, to be honest with you, well, why would you have to say to be honest with you? I mean, were you just not honest before? And usually they mean to be upfront, but sometimes people say, okay, I'll be honest. You know, it's like, well, there's a crutch there. There's some kind of explanation being given to perhaps at times you weren't fully honest behind some of those statements. When we read Psalm 101, verse 2, I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. And that just doesn't mean when you're at home. My house is, is your life. In your, your being, wherever you go, I will walk in integrity. There are times where telling the truth is not convenient. And there's times where it's not even expected. That, that so much of our world kind of expects people to lie, to call in, oh, I'm really sick today. I don't feel very good. Until the phone hangs up. And there's another whole thing going on that, that all of a sudden, a magical healing just took place. But that's expected. People are expected sometimes to not fulfill their word. For the believer, it ought not to be so. If we say we'll do it, we should do it. If we say we won't do it and we won't compromise something, we shouldn't do it at all. In our hearts, integrity, a love of truth is part of children of the kingdom. Walking in integrity. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. Now, every once in a while, our kids will come up with lies that they got away with. But you know the fact that they still remember them? They didn't get away with it. They have guilt. And often, our lies do find us out. And I can give testimony. I was quite the liar as a kid. And I became quite creative at getting out of things by telling more lies. But some of those things, I look back today and realize the lies that, it's like, why do I even remember that? Because I'm not proud of it. Because they were things that were wrong, integrity was lacking. There is no time where we compromise truth, where, where the bill doesn't come due whether it's in losing integrity before others or having a guilt of sin before the Lord and being separated from being a true kingdom warrior, the way that God has called me to. The word of God speaks truth. His children are to speak truth as well. I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. Integrity in marriage, integrity before the rest of the world. That is the life of worship. And one of the greatest things that came out of the Reformation with Martin Luther was the blurring of the line, or actually getting rid of the line before, of the sacred and the secular. 
and saying, you know what? Your life, my life, is a worship service before the Lord. Everything I do. That's why the scripture can say, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God because your whole life is a church service. It's one worship service before him. So in no way, shape, or form do I ever have a slice of my life where he is not, his watchful eye is not there, where he is not before me. So when I am parenting at home, it's part of my worship. That's pretty convicting. I think of how I parent sometimes. I think of some of the things I might have said. And it's like, wow, I wasn't giving very good worship to the Lord in the way I handled that. Or you think that annoying person, and don't look at someone in the room, that annoying person who just gets on you and how you respond to that driver or to that clerk or to that, that salesman that just, oh, he was so rude. That was your worship to that Lord that day. See, integrity of heart changes everything. It realizes that every place I go, it's worship. It's my heart before the Lord. That changes so much. It changes the jokes we tell, the jokes we listen to. It has to change what we watch. It has to change so many things about us. If it really sank in that God's watchful eye is upon every part of my life, it was as much of worship coming to church, however you came today, as what takes place here. Now, the form may change a little bit and our engagement may change, but there isn't one section of our life that somehow God says, you know, you're, you're on your own on that. I'm not really the Lord of that part of your life. So go ahead. God loves us and he has enabled and allowed our life to worship and praise him. And he says, do it without having to add a crutch. Make it so that you, you have a standalone integrity as you worship the Lord. But I have one question before you leave. Does this shirt make me look thin? You can tell me the truth later. Let's pray. Father, help us to be children of the kingdom who live in integrity, who love truth because you are the truth. Lord, help us to put behind us lying lips, half-truth lips, lips that just somehow want to make ourselves look good at the expense of being completely honest. Father, may our integrity be the safeguard of our homes. May our integrity be the safeguard uh, as we go out into a world, Lord, that, that doesn't love truth, that doesn't really care about truth. Help us to be the city set on a hill. In Jesus' name, amen.